the Business and Leadership Podcast with Jared Graybeal. Hey guys, welcome back to the Business and Leadership Podcast. This is your host, Jared Graybeal. Um, today's episode, once again, is another bonus interview. As you know, if you listen to the podcast uh, or if you're just tuning in, most of the episodes are business and leadership teachings that last anywhere under 20 minutes, and it's usually just myself. But every once in a while, I get blessed with the opportunity to inter- interview someone that I look up to in the industry um, and that we can all learn a ton from. So today I have Sal Frazella from First Form. Um, Sal, I'm not going to begin to introduce you. I'll let you do it yourself. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm a, I'm a regular guy. I'm a dad. <laughs> I'm a dad. I'm a husband. I'm a, that. I'm a leader. I mean, I, I got to, I, I don't even know, you know, I got a staff of great, great people that, you know, our team's, you know, uh, an unbelievable group of team. I'm just a team member in that, in that regard. But yeah, I'm a, I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a fitness enthusiast. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in the business of fitness. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of me to a nutshell. You know, I always say there's, you can only be, you can only have three things. And for me, it's, it's uh fitness business and, and father. And that's, that's kind of like my, that's what I understand. Well, um, it's what I like to do. So. That's awesome. And I think one thing that you do really well in all that is it's like an underlying uh, theme is leadership. You got to lead on all those areas. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think, I think leadership is, leadership is an important piece that a lot of people misunderstand. And, um, it's something that I, I don't, you know, I'd like to think I do it well, but you know, who knows, right? I think at the end of the day, your story speaks for itself, but you know, leadership is something that a lot of people do not understand in the grand scheme of things. And, and, and I did a, did a talk on this yesterday, you know, leadership is not delegation. Leadership is not pointing finger. Leadership is like understanding that your role if we're here to dig a ditch, like your role is to grab a shovel first and show them how the ditch should be dug. And I think leadership is something that I take a great deal of pride in just because I like to be in the trenches with my guys and girls. And I like to be on the front lines with my guys and girls. And I think when you look at a lot of people and I, you know, a lot of, cause I consult for actually bigger, bigger companies cause we're a little bit smaller dynamic company. And there's a lot of leadership problems along the ride because when you look at, you've gone through the ranks and you got this guy at the top who lives in a glass cube, right? Like he's too good to go down and answer a customer service email, or he's too good to go down and set the example on how a box should be packed. And when you look at that, um, I think that shows a quality of why businesses struggle. You know, I, I, I'll get out there and still pack boxes with my guys. I'll sweep the floor. I have no problem making a sales call. I'll still do demos. I got no problem mixing a protein shake and sampling with somebody. So I think that's a, Leadership is a, is a core competency of, you know, kind of built into what I do and, and uh, whether I'm good at it or not, I don't know. I'd like to think I am, but hell, I don't know. Um, but when you, you know, leadership is a father thing, leadership is a, uh, a relationship thing and leadership is a business thing. And so like, you got to understand that you're always having an opportunity to lead and you should lead by example always. Yeah, that's really good. So for context for the, for the audience, of course, I know what first form is. A handful of listeners probably do, but let's say that somebody doesn't. Can you explain a little bit about First Form, when it started, how many employees you got working on the team? Yeah, so we start, First Form is a sports supplement brand. However, we're moving into general health and wellness, sports nutrition. We're kind of building out our broader scope. And, you know, when we started into the scene, we were, uh, we were the new guys on the block about 10 years ago. And it's funny, it's 10 years. It's insane. And, and my brother and his business partner, Chris Klein, they had supplement superstores. And at the time I worked for Johnson and Johnson and I was in med device sales. Um, and Andrew wanted to start this line that was retail exclusive so that brick and mortars could have something that wasn't on the internet at, you know, a stack of deep sell at cheap price. Cause about 10 years ago, and maybe your listeners, I don't know. What is your audience demo? Do you know? Millennials. For the most part. Yeah. So like, and so I love millennials. That's kind of like my thing. Like I always tell people like one thing that happens when I consult is they're always like, well, these young kids don't want to work. And I'm like, well, I got, I got 140 of them. They'll cut your balls off. So maybe the problem is you. And <laughs> that's really good. Somebody called me the millennial maker. And I was like, I kind of like that. I'm not but actually by definition. I'm, 
I'm the front end of the millennials because they yeah, changed yeah, yeah. So I'm an 81. So I'm so like every time I like when I speak and they're like, well, I can't get these damn millennials. And I'm like, well, you paid to watch me speak and I'm a millennial. So what, what, what we got here? And, you know, and so when you look at the, a lot of the younger millennials don't understand us though. The internet in its, in its infancy was where you bought everything cheaper, like where you bought everything at the lowest margin. And what you have to understand about economic structure is you can't, and at that time there was no tax, no tech, no tax representation online. You could buy everything tax-free. And when there's no tax representation and everything's cheaper, it destroys local economies. And my brother, you know, he's pretty intelligent, right? He identified this early and he's like, Hey, um, you know, this isn't good. This is not good for business and in, in our industry this is not good for local economy. And so we wanted to have a brand that was something that the stores could find as a safe place of quality nutrition. And it was a way for them to kind of hedge their bet because we were in retail, right? And now we're in the internet business, but it didn't transition that way. But the idea is that not only was it cheaper online, what the companies were doing in sports nutrition land is they were making the product inferior, then more inferior. Then they were, that's where this, you know, the whole filler conversation came in. And then people were taking protein shakes and putting carbs in there because carbs are cheap. And the consumer just didn't see it because they didn't know because they weren't in the shop to be able to explain it. They just saw a label that they knew was good or thought was good. And the company continued to change it. And really the price just went from $40 to $30 to $20. But the product went from a, you know, five-star product to a two-star product right behind it. And so, you know, recognizing that we wanted to build a quality, a quality brand that stood on its own, that was able, that stores were able to stand behind and be proud of and use as the pinnacle of what people would refer to as kind of like, you know, the, 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 the top of the line supplement brand. And so around three or four years, you know, we had a little traction and Instagram came around and social media really changed the landscape of our brand because, you know, I'm not a fit guy, although I'm a fitness enthusiast. I'm, I'm a fat kid at heart. Um, I played sports my whole life, played college sports, played professional sports, but I've always struggled with weight. And the one thing I hate, I hate, despise about our industry is, you know, the fact that everybody's like, well, you get these guys on online and they're like, well, they're jacked and shredded and tan. And really what I learned is they don't take supplements. They're, they don't, they don't know anything about nutrition. They don't, they don't care about helping people. They're just there to make money. And so we were like, well, fuck that, man. Like, let's just go tell our story of who we are and what we like to do. Like, I like to drink beer. I like to work out. I like to help people who are insecure in, in their skin and I want to help them get better. Like I know the journey. I've been through the journey. I continue to go through the journey, you know, like I've been there. And so we just utilized social media at the time to, to build a, a presence of, Hey man, we're not like them. Um, but if you want to get better and you want to have a real education, I'm not here to sell you a program. I'm not, we'll give you the program. You got to do the work, but I'll meet you halfway. I'll give you everything we got. And, uh, if you put in the work and you follow the program, you'll get results. And so we, we just kind of branded as that message, man. And we're just real dudes. Uh, I drive a pickup truck, you know, I'm from Missouri. I wear cowboy boots for real. Uh, I don't have cows as pets, but you know, we're just real people, man. It's just who we are. And we wanted to take, we took social media that way. And you know what? We realized that there's a lot of fucking people just like us. And it's not a, it's not a, I don't need to put my big sunglasses on and my fucking fake gold watch and go act like I'm popping bottles at the club. Like that's not who I am. Yeah, I'm me. Really good. I think that authenticity has been one of the things that's allowed First Form uh, from early on to be a force to be reckoned with in the industry. And now you're not a force to be reckoned with. You're like just one of the major forces in the industry. Um, and so for the audience, for more context, uh, six years ago, early on in sort of the Instagram game, I was pretty active on there. I was a personal trainer. Yeah. And I just... I had no thought towards what I was posting. I was just posting client testimonials and workout videos. I had a lot more fun back then because we weren't so focused on engagement and analytics and stuff. Yeah. But you guys reached out to me and it was, it was Cody that reached out to me um, and invited me up to St. Louis. And dude, that was like one of the first times I was like, I made it in the industry. Like, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. You get a plane ticket. I'm like, dude, this is it. Um, so no, it was super cool. And then, you know, I, I got to know you guys and I got to know the brand and it was unlike anything I had ever experienced. And of course you don't fly everybody out that buys supplements these days, but, um, and of course I was, I was not just a client. I went on to be a legionnaire and, and stuff like that. Um, but just since then, um, I'll attest, right. Like to the quality of the products and to the, 
the value of the brand. I still use uh, all first form, except for maybe stuff you guys don't make, probably because it's it's probably not doing me any good. But um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, man, I, I love the product and I love the team, and that's why I love having you on. Um, I got to have Andy on and talk about sort of a different perspective because I'm sure that your roles are significantly different that may have some cohesive. Um, Andy, my brother. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we don't even, it's funny cause we don't even talk for the most part. Like we don't even talk about business. Like, I mean, I have my things, but that's the, the blind trust that we have in each other. Like, yeah, I yeah. I really don't give a fuck what he does. Cause I know what I got to do. And he, I just assume he's doing what he's got to do and I do what I got to do. And then rest takes care of itself. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so I loved having him on cause we could talk about different things. And then with you being the president, we can talk about some some different stuff, especially um, as it pertains like to the team. And cause I, I know that you have a big part in that, if not the biggest part. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about, cause you know, five, six years ago, you mentioned you left Johnson and Johnson to help Andy kind of pick things up. Mm -hmm. What was that transition like early on? Like how hard was that decision, that risk? I mean, it's extremely difficult. I mean, I just, it's, it's, a, it, I mean, but it, it's probably, you know, there's going to be, ch there's chapters of your life. And, and like, as I've learned, there's, there's how that chapter begins. And that was, you know, in the middle of the book, right? Like when the book starts getting good, that's a chapter for me. And because at the time I was the youngest, I had just one sales, uh, salesman of the year without getting, they have different categories of it, but I was the top earner from a dollar standpoint. And, you know, I had the job, dude. I worked for probably the greatest company on for, that you could have from a corporate standpoint. I worked for Johnson & Johnson. I was in the right division. I was making tons of money. I was 27 years old making, you know, three, $400,000, company car, expense account. Like I did anything I wanted. I worked and, and I loved what I did. I really did. Like meaning like I enjoyed it. It was fun, but it wasn't fulfilling to me. And, and what I realized at that point in time, like, and, and making making money is easy if you're passionate about what you do. And, you know, I loved what I did and I was successful at it. And I was also, you know, watching Andrew and Chris build their brand and they were doing well. And I've always had an, an inherent um, love for what they did because it's, I mean, Andrew and Chris started their stores when they were 19. Like I've been around them my whole life. So like I always appreciated what they did and I always liked what they did. And when you start like watching from the sidelines, I was 27, 28, and I had done extremely well. I was making really good money, but I wasn't really satisfied with what I was doing. And it doesn't mean that I didn't like what I was doing. It's just, it wasn't filling the bucket for me. Like yeah. it was filling a money bucket, but it wasn't filling like what I want to be known for bucket. And I'm very, I, I mean, I've been talking about legacy for as, you know, now it's cool to talk about legacy and fucking termination and grit. Like, but I mean, and you've been around us for a long time. Like I, I care. Like some people say, oh, I don't give a fuck what people think about me. Well, I care a great deal what people think about me, you know, because I like people and I want to be known as a good man. And I want to be known for doing great things. And so as a, at J and J, I was never, it just wasn't my opportunity. And so I had to make that change. And at the time, I mean, you know, I, I mean, there was only like five people that supported it and everybody else thought I was fucking crazy. Um, and it was hard, man, because like when all your friends think you're nuts and they think you're doing something wrong, like they're, they're trying to protect you, but then you're going against the grain, which is difficult when you think about your circle of friends, like if all of your, your, if all of your friends are telling you you're fucking stupid, you think you're fucking stupid, but there's something inside of you that says, you know, I got to go, like, I got to go open that door and see, like I have to, otherwise it's never, I'm never going to know. And what I realized and how I got to that point is like, I, I remember calling my boss. His name's John Riley. He's a fucking stud. And I said, John, I'm, I'm going to quit. And I remember him going, he laughed. Like he laughed like, haha, Cause we just launched a new product and I was, we were making, we were making fucking tons of money. And he's like, you're joking. You know, like, ha ha ha. Like, Hey, how about those Cardinals? I'm like, no, no, John, I'm serious. Like, I'm serious. Like I'm going to quit but I wanted you to, I wanted to give you plenty of heads up so you could brace for it and we'll figure it out, you know? And he's like, wait, you're serious. And I was like, yeah, I'm that serious. And you know, I remember at that time, like the silence and the, and I thought when he got silent, cause we were friends, he was my boss, but we were friends. Yeah. 
And I remember when he got silent, I thought to myself, man, maybe I am making the wrong move. You know, like John, you know, and we talked through it, you know, and, and you know what? I hit the ground and we didn't hit the ground running. I ended up quitting. Took us 18 months to really drive any traffic. You know, it took us a while and all that time. And I thought, well, fuck, all my friends were right. But, you know, because I had so much passion for it and, and we were determined to go, like, I believe winning, people who know how to win, win. They just figure it out. It might take a little longer, but they figure it out. And I had so much ego that I wasn't going to let my friends be right. And I just, every day we just got a little bit better and a little bit better. And it didn't, you know, everybody sees us now and they're like, oh, it happened like that. And it's like, no, motherfucker. Like, no, no. It takes a long fucking time. Like if you're going to build something that's worth, that's worthy, like it takes time. You know what I mean? You're going to build a really nice house. It takes time. Like it takes, it takes a great attention to detail. It takes persistency. It takes consistency. It takes being able to put your ego out on the table and let people smash it and run over it. And, and, you know, I think that that vulnerability in life is really what makes us unique as a brand and as people and as individuals is because we're a group of people who can speak to like, I know what it's like to try to start a social media brand. Like I know, I mean, before anybody, everybody else was putting themselves on Instagram, like we did it with mask because I was too fucking scared to put my face out there. Right. Like I understand how, what it's like to get vulnerable. And so, you know, building this brand has been just one day at a time, getting more vulnerable and understanding that like, I just got to continue to put it out there and continue to be good and continue to have a good message and continue to care about people and continue to do the right thing. And every time we work with those equations, like we end up, we end up moving forward. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's something that, you know, for a younger, for somebody younger, you know, the best piece of advice I could give you is like, you got to build your own brand. Like, and that's what I've learned. Like I'm my own brand. Andrew is his own brand. But if your brand is correct, the people will follow you. And it, the reason people will follow you is because you got to, you got to be vulnerable, man. You got to tell them where you fuck up. You got to tell them all the, you know, I, I tell people all the time, like, I don't know the answer. I don't fucking know, but I know how to figure it out. You know what I mean? And I'll go down there. I'm not just going to make something up, but you build that trust with people and that education and that, that love and that bond. And then they'll follow you anywhere because you've been good to them. So I know I rambled there a little bit, but. No, it's good. I mean, that covers some of my questions. Um, what do you think has been, the greatest obstacle that you've personally had to overcome to get where you are today? Or, you know, one of those moments where you're like, I don't know if we'll make it through this. Well, I think about 18 months in, you know, like, I mean, you gotta think I was making, I was making really good money. Right. I mean, at 27 years old, you know, I was doing really well. And you know, when I, when I took the job, I think, you know, I went from making whatever four, three, 400, 400 grand to, I forget what Andrew and Chris, paid me, but I think it was like a hundred or 125,000, which was a lot of money. You know what I mean? Like, is it's like <laughs> for a startup software company. Yeah. But I mean, Andrew and Chris, you know, they, they put, they invested, you know, in me in that sense. And it's like, it was a big investment, but it was for me, it was a huge pay cut. You know what I mean? Like it was a huge pay cut. And so like my life was going like this and then I kind of voluntarily put it on its ass. And about 18 months in, I remember thinking, fuck man, did I make the right choice? Like, did I? And I remember having those, those mental battles because I, tra here's what happens. I traveled my face off, man. I was gone 91 nights, two years in a row. It was like 91 nights the first year and like 90 nights the second year. I mean, you do the math. I was gone three days a week. You're married at the time? No, I was dating, but I was dating Raquel who I'm married okay. to now. <clears throat> and you know, you're gone, didn't you know, I had dogs and you know, you have a life and I had no friends and and here I am two years in, I'm making, you know, 30% of what, what I was making two years ago, working five times fucking harder. And I remember thinking, fuck, maybe I made the wrong move. And I was like, well, because I don't quit. That's like one of my things. Like I don't, the hard, one of the hardest things I ever did was my first sales job when I sold copiers. I had to walk into my office, walk into my boss's office and tell him I was quitting because I'd never quit. My dad never allowed me to quit a sport. I'd never quit anything in my entire fucking life. And I remember that being the hardest fucking thing to do. Like literally like almost like I wanted to cry because like I didn't know how to do it. And I remember having that same sensation about, you know, 18 months, two years in where I was like, fuck dude, I fucked my life up. And I was like, well, I got two options here. I can quit and let everybody else be right. 
or I can fucking stay in this motherfucker and try to figure it out. And I remember, I remember having that conversation. I was in, I was in fucking um, Salina, Kansas. I was staying at a red roof Inn. I mean, this is how visual I can remember. I was staying at red roof Inn, and I remember looking at the filter for the air conditioner and it had like a fucking inch of dust on it. <laughs> and I remember being like, what in the fuck am I doing? You know, like this is not fun. And fast forward, you know, eight years later, it's a lot of fucking fun. And I got a lot of great stories. And my guys will tell you, like anybody who, anybody here will be like, oh, I was in Salina, Kansas. I'm like, oh, dude, like I've been, a, you know, and I know the gas station, the town, the hotel, like I've been, because I've already been there. I've already everywhere in the country. Like I've been there. Nutramart in San Diego, Egan, Egan Frank, you know, like he's on 7th Street. Like I already fucking know. Like I, could t- I mean, literally I could, I've been to every, all these places and it's been, those are all great chapters in my life because it's a great experience. And now that it, looking back on it retrospectively, it was worth every single ounce of sacrifice. But when you're in it, man, it's fucking hard. And so that, that, that overcoming that doubt of myself was hard because like when I was making all the money at J and J, like I thought to myself, dude, I'm going to walk over there and I'm going to stomp these motherfuckers. Well, that's not what happened. You know what I mean? I walked over there and I fucking didn't stomp those motherfuckers and I had to go back to square one. So did you come on board as the president? No, I was just a sales guy. I was, I'm employee one. So I was kind of like, we didn't have any structure. We didn't have any systems. We didn't have anything. It was, yeah. hey, we have we have these six SKUs. Go try to sell these six SKUs. What it really what it was. Yeah. And I remember Andrew being like, "Hey, man, we just got to get to like thirty five thousand dollars a month in sales to offset, you know, where you're at. So like, we just got to get to about thirty five grand a month." And I remember thinking, "Okay, well, fuck, that should be pretty easy." Well, it took me like started in July. It took me to like December till I was even. So we even cracked like 30 grand, 30 grand, you know, like 30 grand. It's fucking insane. You know, like I think about $30,000 at the time I was like, fuck, that's a lot. Now I think fuck, we'll sell 30 grand while the time we're on this phone. You know what I mean? So, Oh man. So in your opinion, um, if you had to choose three characteristics of a good leader, what would they be? Hmm. Well, three characteristics of a, of a good leader. Well, you have to, I mean, there's only one way to lead and it's by example. Like I don't, I I don't, I have leaders in all different categories of our company. And I try to, I I don't know the three characteristics is, is, is suitable for all because uh, a great leader in the warehouse leads by example. And it takes, everybody's got their own way of leading by example. And a lot of it is being able, I mean, I think a core, so I'll, I'll dig into some of these things that, that make it super important. Like you have to be able to do, okay. If you're a leader and you're going to lead a squadron into anything, anything, you better be able to do every single fucking job on that pallet. Everyone, you're not too good for them. And you, you're, you're, you know, it's not like, Oh, I used to do that. I don't do that anymore. No, no motherfucker. Like you still do it. Like I still get in our customer service department. I still deal with our media. I still go out back. I still make sales calls because it's important that they understand that, you know, so you have to be able to lead by example. Like that is, I always say there's only one way to lead and it's by example. And then the other thing is, is you have to have a backbone because if you're going to set the standard for how this box is to be packed, you better have the backbone enough to fucking stand up to somebody and say, Hey, you didn't fucking pack that box correctly. And I think a lot of times people are afraid of confrontation because they're afraid of holding the standard. And so, you know, uh, I don't know if having a backbone is the, is the exact I'm sure there's a word for it. Yeah. But I mean, I, I you paint the picture, right? Like yeah. I, I always tell people, you got to set the standard and hold the line. If you can't set the standard and hold the line, like you won't win because the second you budge, the second you fucking give on that standard, you lose because you're, you're, you're empowering the, 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 the basically death of your system. And so for us, like there's a right way and a wrong way. And we do this through the system of, it, we, they call me the poo police because we do this thing called the can- kangaroo court. And I learned this from, from baseball, but I empower everybody up and down the line to protect our bathrooms. Okay. And I believe that when you walk into an organization, you can learn a lot about a restaurant or an organization by how their bathrooms are presented and how they look. And so with that, every single guy in our building is, is to be held accountable in the bathroom. And if it's not, seats not wiped off, 
sink's not wiped off, trash isn't taken out, you didn't replace toilet paper, and you're walking out of my bathroom, and I'm walking in, and not those things are not accounted for, you get banked. And it's a fine. It's a $5 fine. And then in, on Monday mornings, in front of everybody, you have the person who wrote the, the infraction and the, or who wrote the ticket and the person who committed the infraction, they have to come up in front of everybody and they have to, we call it banging each other. And you got to fucking have that confrontation in front of everyone. And I make it happen. I'm like, hey man, like you're not holding the fucking standard. I'm going to fucking find your ass. That's the way it is. And it forces our new guys. It gives them something stupid to teach them and give them a little bit of experience so that they understand the confrontation is not bad. Confrontation is just simply holding the standard. And I think, you know, when you look at great leadership, like my guys, the guys who are closest to me, the Cody's, the Aaron's, the wills of the world, uh, they fucking know if they slip in front of me, like I'm going to call them out. Like I have zero, zero tolerance to bleeding into the gray area. There is no, I am very black and white. There's no gray. Like zero. It makes me feel a lot better about how I lead sometimes. Yeah. Well, I mean, dude, it's, but I think there's a, there's a, there's a message inside of there that a lot of people, they incorrectly deliver that message. You know, like my guys have enough trust in me to where they know that if I am getting in their ass, they understand it's because I love them. It's not because I'm trying to be better than them. It's not because I'm trying to dictate a, a narrative. It's because I want what's best for them. And when, when your employees or your teammates understand that you're just doing it because it's the right thing to do, not because you're mad at them, not because you're trying to be fucking Billy Badass, but because I told you, I'm not walking in my fucking bathroom with piss on the seat or, or, or uh, standing water on my sink. Like, it's not happening. Yeah. And if you had that in front of me, you should have taken the initiative to fucking wipe that down yourself. Instead, you're leaving it for me to do. And I have a big fucking problem with that. And so I look at it the same way. Like, when you walk over a piece of trash in my warehouse, I will fucking tell one of the guys, you turn your fucking happy ass around and come pick that piece of trash up right now. And what happens is the trash just starts magically getting picked up. You know, and they start yeah. telling each other like, hey, motherfucker, you need to pick that trash up. And so it creates a cycle of accountability that will just be in the DNA of the organization. Whereas yeah. some people, they'll walk over the trash and then tell the other motherfucker to go pick the trash up. You know what I mean? And that, that's, not how we, that's not how we operate. It's not how we roll. It's not how, it'll never be that way here. As long as I'm here, it ain't fucking happening that way. Yeah, that's awesome, man. <clears throat> we have something similar. Obviously, we're held accountable to meal selection and preparation. Right. So we basically know who makes any meal because of that reason. So it's yep. like kind of fell on them. Um, this is a little bit more about business. And uh, I think you're such a down to earth person. So it makes people naturally want to follow you, but you're, you, you gotta be good at business to do what you do as the president of first form. So I'm interested in your opinion about like, what few things do you think contribute to the success of a, of a business, especially a large business, but like timing, market conditions, leadership, business model, you know, like the stuff you read in business books, there's a lot of argument out there that leadership is at the, the pinnacle of good business or market timing or you know, technology or something like that. What do you think it is? Maybe one I, or two things. I think, I think timing is relevant. I don't, I don't believe in that. I don't believe in, I don't, I don't believe in you're just lucky. Like I don't, I don't, I mean, listen, I'll, I'll arrogantly tell you, like, I'll put, I'll, I'll, put, I'll put myself and my team up against anybody. If I had to go into any fucking business in any, if I had to sell tires tomorrow, I'd open up next to fucking tire rack and let's go, motherfucker. That's how I look at it. And I think team cohesiveness and leadership is, I mean, it is the difference. People buy from people they like. Your job in business is to solve a problem. And whoever is best at solving the problem wins. That's it. Like, it doesn't, it's not kind of it. It's not sort of it. It's it. Amazon did it better than everybody. You know, like they understand that. Sorry, I'm getting a FaceTime here. I got to tell them one sec. I'm on a Zoom. I'm well, on that answers my question. Teamwork, right? Oh, I mean, dude, what, one, you are only as good as the weakest link in your team. Mm. That's it. There's no market timing. There's no market conditions. I mean, sure, there are, there are things that happen, right? Like there are, there are, devices that are invented, i.e. the iPhone, that just fucking blow the world and put it on its face. But that's not the majority of business. The majority of business is service. Like, what makes a great fucking restaurant? Well, I would argue that in any condition, you better have a competitive product. Like, it's at least got to be in the top 30%. Like, if you're going to win, you got to be in the top 30%. Like, if you have the shittiest product and you expect it to fucking be a gold mine, like, you're, you're setting yourself up for, for, for failure. 
But if you're in the top 30%, the differentiating factor is who the fuck's on the other line. Meaning how you handle your customers and how you care about your customers is the, is the biggest dividing factor on who wins and who loses. And when you start looking at it that way, people buy from people. And I've always hired good people. Like I don't go out and hire the sales shark because I'm smart enough to know that that's not what fucking works. I got to go hire people who care about helping other people. And if I can empower that message, somebody on the other line understands that that's coming from a genuine place. I sell supplements, but that's not really what I sell. I sell results. I sell that if you want to change your life mentally, physically, emotionally, I'm your fucking Huckleberry. And not only can I do it, I got a hundred thousand people that I can point to that I understand that I can talk to. And I have no problem explaining the struggle because I've been through the struggle and I can show them the, the, the light down the pathway that they want to go. And what separates us as a company is, you know, the fitness model who's up on the board, on the billboard promoting this protein powder, they don't know shit about how to help Susie Q or soccer mom Susie lose 40 pounds so that her husband will look at her and, and she can be a better mom and her husband will be happier and she'll be happier and she can live the life that she wants to live. Like, that's what fucking life's about. And I understand that. We understand that. And so, you know, there's no timing for that. Timing's now. If you had a tire shop, like, when do you need new tires? Well, you're going to need new tires whether the market's fucking up or down. Like, you yeah. can't control that. Like, you're going you're gonna to need to eat. Can't control that. You got to do it. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. So if you have a snow cone stand, you'd fucking, you better not put in Antarctica. I mean, that's common sense. But if you're going up side to side to Dairy Queen, what you offer and how you deliver it to people, you, it's going to become down to the person that's behind, that's behind the eight ball. So it's people, people buy from people that'll never fucking change. Yeah. That's really, really good. Especially I think that'll give some people hope right now because as technology changes things, people are still always going to buy from people the the lever or like the avenue right e-commerce and stuff that's going to grow but like there's still people involved um which is yeah i mean we made a post yesterday we're supporting local businesses okay so every night until they turn st louis back on we're sponsoring a thousand dollars to our favorite restaurants local restaurants and people say well that's kind of you know they'll be like well but you're an internet business yeah but i'm a locally owned internet business i'm not amazon you know what i mean like i'm not amazon I'm a week. I employ 150 people that have real jobs, not robots, like real jobs, people. And so where technology, all technology has done is allowed us an opportunity to show that we're real people. And so like people will make the excuse, well, technology took care of that or Amazon beat them at that. Okay. Well, I, this is where people think I'm fucking crazy, but I have, I cannot wait for the day till Jeff Bezos. I sit across the table from him and be like, I beat you motherfucker. I beat you. You can't beat me. And the reason being is because he always goes on efficiencies and flows and, you know, data centers and how quick he can get it to you. But I'm here to fucking change people's lives. And he can't do that. He can't do what I do. Not that what I do is can only is, is a human connection from one human to another. A machine will never replace that a machine cannot look at you and say, well, I know what it's like to be fat. And I know what it's like to be under underperforming your life. And I know what it's like to not be comfortable in your own skin when you take your shirt off at the pool. Like I understand that. Well, the robot doesn't fucking understand that, yeah. but I do. And whenever Jeff Bezos sits across the table from me, I'll be like, checkmate, bitch. That's how I think. And so people use technology as an excuse to hide from their ability or their wants to go do something. When in reality, it's an opportunity. When you can look at the opportunity, that's great. It's a great fucking opportunity. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> one thing I've always been fascinated about, especially since I've started my business, you know, I've, I've led people in the fitness industry for 12 years, being a GM of a health club chain before I started super fit. Um, but dude, I've never had a bad experience with first one. I mean, I've spent a lot of time, well, relatively a lot of time with your team, probably more than a lot of the customers, you know? Right. Um, and I always wonder, and this is legitimate, not necessarily just for the interview, but like, how do you get them to be so, dude, you've had Will forever. Like Will's not going anywhere. You know, you, you've had uh, Aaron, you're like Cody, like these people work really hard and they're still passionate about what they do. And like, you know, burnout is a real thing. Like they're so talented that it wouldn't surprise me if any of them started their own business by now, but they stay. Like, how do you, how do you do that? I mean, I imagine they have a, a, a good compensation, but aside from that, like what, what do you think it is? 
Um, again, I, I mean, I tell them all the time, make, making money is easy. They, the, my guys are, dude, I mean, listen, they, they, there's nobody on planet Earth that works harder than my team. Nobody. Nobody. Will Grumpke, there's, there's somebody in the audience right now be like, oh, yeah, I work harder. I promise you right now, Will Grump, no, there's not a person on planet Earth that works harder than that kid. He could go work somewhere else and probably make twice as much money. But at the end of the day, you start realizing, like, life's not necessarily always about money. Life's about filling those buckets. And the, un, the, the undying loyalty that we have for one another is a two-way street. Like, they're not loyal to me. I'm loyal to them. We're loyal to each other. And I think that's a unique uh, perspective because, you know, a lot of guys treat their employees as employees. And I tell them, like, those are my kids. Like, I, I give them advice as I would give Enzo, my own son. Like, and I, they know that, um, I confide in them. They confide in me. We have, it's, they're, they're, they're brothers to me. And I don't, you know, and that, that's like something you'd have to ask them. I mean, I know my answer on, on why I love them. I don't know why they stay. Yeah. Um, I mean, I got a pretty good fucking idea. I mean, you're at the ground floor of what we'd like to think is the next Nike. Um, so, you know, what are the top 10 guys make at Nike? Probably more than they would on their own. I think that vision, and that's about casting a vision to your employees and understanding, like, uh, could I sit back? We had not, we had not, we had an offer to sell the company that I wouldn't have to work. My fucking kids wouldn't have to work. Nobody would have to work for the next, I don't know how, probably forever. But it's not about me. It's about them. Yeah. You know, and it's about being able to empower, you know, my, my 10 guys who believed in us first before everybody else did, you know, and those, those guys who have put, thousands and thousands and thousands of their life into this business. Like I'm not going to sell them out. That's not how I roll. And they understand that. And I think, you know, most people, mo most people would, would sell it. They would, they'd cash in their chips and move on and tell everybody, fuck off. I'm just not wired that way. We're not wired that way. I'm in, we're in this thing and you know, I wave the flag and I'm going to, and I'm going to run right next to them. And they know that. And I, I, I think if you were to ask them that, they'd have a very similar response. But, you know, at the end of the day, like, I love those guys. It's not, yeah. I don't. Yeah, that part's evident, you know. Um, I just, like, in my experience, there's been so many things, especially in a small company. Now, like, Superfit is is a small business, and um, First Form is not so small anymore. So I think, like, that growth trajectory probably uh, is a big deal. And then compensation and then culture and all that fun stuff plays into it. Um, so it's just something to be said about, I think, culture at the core of it, right? Like people have to be well compensated. Like that's a given, um, at least long term. At some point, they got to be well compensated. But culture yeah, probably. I, could, I mean, I fixed that a long time ago. <clears throat> I, their compensation is not, it's not subjective. It's a very clear blueprint. Um, I have a mentor who's been a, a good friend of mine. His name's Greg Stubblefield, the CEO of Enterprise Rent-A-Car locally. It's actually a $26 billion privately held company. And I happened to meet this guy randomly fucking at a random thing. And we became friends and blah, 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 blah. And I asked him this, this question, the question that you're kind of getting to. And he's like, it's clear. It's easy, man. He's like, you got to tie everybody to the number and you're all in it. You're in it for what it is. And if you want to grow, grow. If you want to stay, stay. doesn't matter. And the team takes care of itself. And so I've always, not always, I've pinned our guys to the number. If we grow at 27%, so do they. If we lose at 27%, so do they. And I've taught them to be entrepreneurs inside their own channels so that they have autonomy. So I allow them to have their own business in our business. And it's technically their business, you know, because, and I tell them all the time, like I can go make money. I'm not, I'm not afraid of making money. Like to me, that's not, and it's, it's, it's not the number one thing for me. So I don't, you know, like I make a really good living. Um, but I, my, I don't go out and say, how much money can I make today? Where that's where a lot of young guys go wrong. It's how many people can I help? And part of my help process is explaining to these guys how to do their job better so that they can make more money so that they can live the life that they want. But I have to be able to paint a vision that they can fit inside. And so I have to think that way, you know, like we, we can, I mean, literally be done tomorrow and I'd never have to work another fucking day of my life, but that's not what I want to do. My job is to help people. It's what makes me happy. Yeah. I love helping people lose weight. I love helping people succeed. It's who I am. It's who I'll always be. And if, I mean, dude, if, if the company went away tomorrow, like I'm not going to change, like it's still me. So why not just do this, you know? And so by pinning them to the number, it insulates them from wanting to leave 
because I mean, I'm going to tell you right now for the, for the money they make for them to go start a business, you're only, how they get paid now is how you, it's how you get paid. If your company grows, you make more money, right? Is that correct? Well, well, I have a base salary, but that's what we do is a little different, but. No, no, it's not. So they're on a base salary. So if let's just say math purposes, cause it's easy, their base salary is a hundred thousand dollars. Well, if the company goes up 17% this year, next year they make $117,000. Company grows at 2%, then you take 117,000 times 0.02. So I've just made it a sliding scale of, hey, if the company grows, we're resetting the marker. Yeah, if well, not, no, I was just answering your question literally. I have, a, I have a, my pay doesn't change, but theirs does. Like theirs is based off, you know. Yeah, but, but I mean, you're, you're tied to the equity number at that point, right? Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, like, yeah you're, yes, it, yeah. So, I mean, that's the, the only way to make more money is to fucking grow. Yeah. Okay, well, let's grow. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in this thing. So, I, I, like, I'm not paid that way either, to your point. Like, I, yeah. I, get, paid, I get paid what I get paid, and then we figure it out later. But, <laughs> you know, but, like, to those guys, I want them to have their own business inside of business. I mean, what? I mean, dude, we're moving into a 184,000 square foot state-of-the-art badass fucking facility. It's got... 17,000 square foot gym, a basketball court. They can, it's got a break room, entertainment center, auditorium, showers. I mean, it's going to be as, why would they leave? Yeah. I mean, the question yeah, is like, why wouldn't they sleep there? That, that's how I, that's how we built it. Yeah. Good luck finding a cooler place to work. I hope so. That's really cool, man. Um, if you weren't doing what you're doing now, Sal, what would you be doing? You ever I'd think be in about construction. That? Yeah. I think about it all the time. I'd be in construction. I love building shit. Okay. I love, I love, like GT. Yeah, I'm, I, I enjoy the process. Yeah, I like, see, I'm always been like a hard work sweat guy, uh, a blue collar kid. My dad, that's how we were raised. And um, that's why, I, you know, my, I'm always, I cut my own grass. People ask me all the time, can't you, can't you pay somebody to cut your own grass? And I'm always like, dude, a real man cuts his own grass. That's how I, that's how I look at it. That's how I think. <laughs> and, you know, not only do I cut my grass, but, I fucking cut my grass the right way. I got stripes you can see from fucking space, you know? And so, and I trim my grass and I, I have a bobcat and I, I want to teach my son and daughters how to work with their hands. To me, that's a big fucking deal, you know? And, and I'm not going to raise some pussified, you know, white collar kids. It's not going to happen. And, um, so the, the, the blue collar building trade in that sense, like I, I love, I have appreciation for we're building this building. I'm down there every day. I know, Every super, every foreman, I know them by name. I know the process. I just, so I, I'm passionate. Again, it goes back to the beginning of the conversation. Like I'm extremely passionate about building things uh, because I like delivering a, 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 a gem. And I think you can make, it's kind of like changing somebody's life, right? When you can deliver that gem and then you can see that person, you can hand the keys back to their new life and you walk them through that process and you actually built what, what you told them that they were going to build and you guys built it together it's an amazing feeling to watch that person, especially on social media. I'm able to see them transact as a better dad or husband or wife or mother or brother or sister. And I've played a, a, a role in that. Well, same thing with delivering a, a finished project. Like if you could build somebody's dream home, well, you get to see that and be a part of that process and educate them and teach them. And you get to deliver to them and then they get to raise their family and be it. So I think I, it's not that I think about it all the time, but yeah, I've been <clears throat> something that I enjoy doing. It's something that I think I would be good at. And it's something that I would have no problem doing tomorrow. I love that. Um, so, um, we, we ran into each other at Wadapalooza. Yeah. Can you talk about that at all? What part? Like you, you just, you just told me you had some cool stuff going on. Yeah. I mean, I, listen, I, I was, I was in CrossFit before CrossFit was cool. And I, I mean, personally, I just think CrossFit's in some uncharted waters right now. And I think that, um, you know, I mean, I, I don't know what the future holds, but I know Wadapalooza is, is, a, is a phenomenal event. It's run by a, a great group of people. And, you know, you, I like to have my, my, my hand on the heartbeat. And I went down there. My, my, a couple of my guys were down there, but I went down there, I flew by myself, went down there by myself, stayed in a hotel room by myself, walked the floor most of the time by myself. Because I think the message of CrossFit and why, um, really why... I enjoy it is because at the core, specifically in the early days, like the Jason Kalipa days, um, when you look at those, the movement was built around helping people. 
you know, 10 years ago, you would never fucking on a million earth or on a, or a million years on earth, see a 55 year old mom going in and grabbing a barbell. It's not happening. It's not happening. But the truth is, is like, I understand that resistance training is part of changing somebody's life. So I like, I have to have those conversations with people and you know, it's scared and it's intimidating. CrossFit did a phenomenal job of breaking that mold and changing that plane. And somewhere along the way, I just, I feel that that message may have changed a little bit. And I think, you know, they started, this is just CrossFit started looking at the money opportunity, not necessarily why it started. And, And so I've seen it evolve over, you know, over the last 10 years, 11 years. And I just, you know, I see that event and I, I, more than anything, I just want to see where the future of CrossFit is going because I don't know that it's going to be what it is today as we see it. I don't see the games being um, as prominent as they once were. I see the things of Wadapaloozas of the world being, you know, kind of the, the HOAs, you know, the Jeremy Myers in, in, in CrossFit Springfield. Like I see those community events taking the front stage and then highlighting some of the athletes because I think even the older athletes and there's some now there's some athletes in here now who are uh, just phenomenal people. But I mean, you know, I just, I see a changing and I, I like to be in the mix. I like to see what, um, where things are going to go. You know, like I still go, I'll go to the bodybuilding show. We don't put up show uh, booths or trade events at Olympia or Arnold, but I still go because I like to keep, I like to keep my feet in and, and I want to know the temperature of the water because it helps me navigate mine. Is there a reason why you guys don't set up there? Yeah, I, I think, you know, like when you look at, we do, well, there's a reason why I don't at the, at the two big bodybuilding shows. One, I'm not going to spend $100,000 to go, our brand is not a sample brand. Like it's not like, hey, here's a packet of pre-workout, come try it. Our brand is a human. Like if you're going to connect with First Form on any level, you're going to have a personal relationship. And those, those types of, kind of cattle herding events, they don't allow us the opportunity to really highlight who we are. And so people make a decision based off who we are in this 30 second time shot. And it's not, that's not our best foot forward. Our best foot forward is to have interactions like this and understand that we're in this thing for the long game. And so I would much rather invest our money into our customer base from an educational or informational standpoint than I would, Hey, here's a free, here's a free pre-workout. So that, that's why we don't, you know, typically do those events. Yeah. It makes sense. Um, I just have a couple more questions for you and then I'll close you out. Sal. Um, what, and these are kind of random, but what's the single best investment of money you've made in the last year under $500? And what's the, something you bought and you've been like, this is really worth it. Well, I mean, you know, two weeks, three weeks ago, I bought J and J stock at 108. I made a killing on it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Single best investment. I mean, dude, I'm always going to go back to books. Like I books are books are fundamental for me and I might not read a book cover to cover. I will read first three or four chapters. I'll pull some, some nuggets and go apply them. Um, you know, in the last year, I mean, I've I've read a lot of books in the last year. I think if I were going to give you $500 in books, that's a lot of fucking books. Yeah, that's a lot of books. What do you? What would you say your top uh, three to five books? With, without a doubt, I mean, I can I can hammer this without a doubt. I I think if you were, who's this going to? Mm. Business and leadership. Okay, so business and leadership. There's there's three books I give you for sure. Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink. It's the best fucking book you'll ever fucking read when it comes to understanding your role as a leader. There's no there's there's no better manual ever. Ever, 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 ever in planet fucking earth. I bet you I've sold, I mean, he sold himself because I mean, I, and I would listen to that book. I would listen to that book because it's, it's such, he, they, they read it themselves. It's him and Leif and it's fucking awesome. Um, the automatic millionaire. I recommend this book. This guy's name's David Bach. I read this book when I was 21 years old. He doesn't even know who the fuck I am. He, I bet you I've sold that guy as many books as he sold himself. And it talks about prioritization of money. And I think a lot of young people do not understand money. And actually right now is a perfect time. You know, you need to save for a rainy day because you never know when the fucking rainy day is coming. And like, you know, when this, this shit hits, if you're financially secure and you understand finance, like you should not be nervous because you've prepared for it. 
And I think we have a society right now that is underprepared financially because they don't understand money. Mm. And I understand money extremely well. Um, and it all, my foundation of it came out of that book, you know, that book, the automatic millionaire, it's an easy read. And it, the, the simple concept is pay yourself first and you should always pay yourself first and treat your investments and treat yourself as a bill. Not just a, not just kind of like, let's fly by the seat of our pants. And when you structure your finances that way, you start to structure your life that way. And so I would say the automatic millionaire is, is, is a fucking killer book. What is a business book that it's great? <sighs> Concepts of business. Man, Seth Godin is the fucking, he's the goat. I just finished uh, This Is Marketing like yesterday. Yeah, I mean, he, he, he's fucking good, man. Like anything Seth, I think anything Seth Godin is fucking great. Jeffrey Gittimer is a fucking stud. I think if I were to recommend, because extreme ownership is kind of like, it's not kind of, it's a leadership business book. The finance side, obviously the automatic millionaire. You know, Peter Thiel wrote a book, Zero to One. It's kind of like a, that, that's, that's, that's a, if you're in business and you've kind of had some lumps, Zero to One's a great book because it kind of, it kind of teaches you some, it makes you think about how you're structured and how your things work. And I think Zero to One is a, is a, is a, is a good offering in the business realm, especially if, if you have some young entrepreneurs, they allow you to kind of, to kind of capture those. That's kind of, I think that's what I would go for. There's a sales book out there that I recommend. It's fucking boring as shit. But I think it, it's, it's, it's by a guy by the name of Tom Hopkins, and it's called How, how, to, how to Master the Art of the Sale. It's the, only, it's the only sales seminar I've ever been to. And the whole concept of the book, and I can teach you this in like two seconds, is to ask, just simply ask questions. And it's helped me out in relationships. Um, you know, like when my wife's upset, instead of me just fucking dealing with it, I ask her, hey, what's wrong? Hey, how can I help you? It teaches you to ask questions versus just spew information. And I think, you know, as a young salesperson, I, I, because I went to that seminar and I listened to that man and I applied those tactics, I'm sitting in this fucking chair today. Yeah. So there's four books that you could read that are cost you less than probably a hundred dollars that could probably make you 10 million if you apply them. That's really, I'm surprised you didn't have uh, how to win friends and influence people. You know, what's funny is, is Dale Carnegie. I, you know, what's funny. This is, I've never read the book. <laughs> never read the book. And it, cause I don't think this is sounds, this is going to sound arrogant, like, or narcissistic. Like I don't struggle in that area. Yeah. I was going to say by now, I don't think that you necessarily need to read it. Um, I, I understand that you, you do, you make friends, you make, my, I'm writing a book. It's going to call, it's going to say, make friends, make sales. <laughs> like it's, it's an easy concept. It, I, I always threw the biggest parties in college. We always had all the people come when I bartended. I always had people there. We always had fun. Like I understand the concept. Like if you want people to be in your life and you want to fucking have a good time, you better have fucking fun. And you, you have fun by making friends, letting your guard down, showing them you're vulnerable. Like how I met the enterprise guy is a perfect example. I was talking to him at a charity event. We're going back and forth. I didn't know who the fuck he was. I had no idea. He came up to me and said, Hey, you know, some nice things. We were sponsoring this for my Haiti charity. And, um, he said some nice things, you know, and we started talking, he started telling me like cars and, you know, and then we had, his, I knew his daughter. And so I texted his daughter on the side and I said, Hey, give me your dad's number. And, you know, don't, don't let him know that I'm, I'm calling him that you got it to me. So I texted him and I said, Hey, he was telling me a story about how he was in his Ferrari going down the highway and he was going hundred miles an hour and he was telling me the story. So I texted him. He had no idea who I am. I just met him one time, no cell phone number, no nothing. And this is the guy, I mean, this guy runs a $26 billion company. Yeah. I mean, nobody, nobody fucks with people like that. Right. And because they're used to getting their way. So I sent him a text and said, Hey, Greg, this is officer Mihoff, like fucking Jack me off. And, <laughs> and I said, this is officer Mihoff of the Missouri state highway patrol I just wanted to give you a heads up. I got your number from the guys over at St. Louis Motorsports. Uh, in the city of Chesterfield, we are commissioned to offer all infractions on a, on a blue Ferrari. Uh, when coming through Highway 40, you know, we keep getting reports of this car traveling at high speeds. I found out that it's yours. I just wanted to give you a heads up. He wrote back, oh, appreciate it, officer. I don't remember going that fast, you know, blah, 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 blah. So I let a couple days go by. And then I text him back. I said, hey, hey uh, Greg, Jack here. Just wanted to uh, touch base with you again. 
you know, so at this point now I put it together, right? Officer Jack. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, you know, and I said, Hey, uh, I just want to check in, see how you're doing, buddy. You know, and he, you know, like we're not, he doesn't, he really thinks this is a state patrolman at the time. I hit him up the next day. I said, Hey, Greg, try to get in touch with you here, bud. You know, I'm going to Florida with the family. I was hoping you could flip me a free rental car since we're buds and all, since we've, you know, I take care of you, you take care of me. This is friends. Bubbles go up, bubbles go down. Bubbles go up, bubbles go down. Bubbles go up, bubbles go down. He writes back, you think we got the $26 billion because we fucking give away cars? He's like, what? I mean, how do you have the audacity? He's like, write me a ticket. I don't care. He's like, but I'm not going to be talked to this way on my personal cell phone. And I sent him a picture. I was with my dad. I sent him a picture. And we were at the baseball game. I said, I got you, motherfucker. And to this day, it solidified our friendship. And people like to have fun. You know, people don't care how much money you make. People don't really give a fuck what you drive. It's a cool thing. People like to have fun and it's a commonality. It's a common theme and you want to have a good time. And if you, your life is short, life is precious and you should enjoy every fucking minute of it. And making friends is the single most thing, the best, single best thing that you could do to, to make your life better. It will, it, it, if you, if done correctly, it will benefit you monetarily, but emotionally and physically it'll be the best thing you ever did. And so make friends, um, is something that you need to learn to do. And if you struggle to do it, you're going to struggle in business. Yep. I read that book when I was 11. It helped a ton. Um, from what, from what I know about it in the sense, like how to win friends and influence people. Well, if you make a lot of friends, you got a lot of influence. Yes. Pretty simple. Social, social media 101. I don't give a fuck how many followers you have. I give a fuck how much, how much pull you got. How, who engages with you? Who yeah. engages with you? So that's really good, man. So, um, one more question. If you could put anything, which you could, if you could put anything on a big blank billboard, maybe in times square or the biggest street in St. Louis, what would it say? Hmm. What would it say? That's a good question. Not many questions that I'll, that I'll pause on like that. Because, I mean, it would be powerful. Well, here's a message I'll leave you with. That this could be it. Remember, you were the lucky sperm. That would be it. And I think when you think of life that way, you know, all too often we, we think about all the negatives in our lives. Because that's what we're, as humans, we're, we're focused on the negatives. But remember, you, like, you won that race for a reason. And it's your opportunity and obligation to yourself to make the best of that. And do we, we all go through shitty times. We all have tough fucking struggles. You're no different. It's the difference between you and the version of you that you want to be is getting back up one more time and making sure that you give every single day the best you fucking got. And, you know, when I went to Haiti for the first time, it was, it was life-changing for me because I realized that God chose me to do what I need to do. And he's given me an opportunity. It's my obligation to, to do that to the, best, to the best of my ability. And I chose those kids. And in fact, I don't even have a picture of my own son on my own desk. But I have a picture of, of the kid that changed my heart, changed my life, this little kid Marco right here. Wow. And I still, to this day, um, keep Marco's picture because no matter how bad my day is, no matter what shit I'm going through, no matter how much stress I have, that little kid lives in a, in a dirt house down a dirt road with little to no education. Now, now he has education because we're taking care of him. And he had the biggest fucking smile on his face. And I thought to myself, you know what? If that kid can smile, I should smile. And I keep him in the forefront of my brain and I keep him on my desk because, you know what? I was a lucky sperm and I have a great opportunity. We're born in the greatest country on planet Earth. And you think about our obligation and opportunity to succeed inside that. If we don't, we're, we're just failing. We're failing everyone else around us. And so, you know, the billboard in, in Times Square, if, if people could understand the fact that, you know what, we got it pretty fucking good. We yeah. got it pretty fucking good. Um, I think we'd live in a much more uh, thankful society that shared a lot more gratitude than it does currently today. Gratitude. So how about that? I bet you never thought it'd be, you are the lucky sperm. No, I don't, you know, maybe coming from you, I could have expected <laughs> that. Um, no, dude, Sal, this has been my favorite interview so far. I really appreciate it. Uh, I appreciate you making the time, especially given the circumstances. I mean, you're still working and all that stuff. Oh, man. Um, I, I appreciate my best. What's that? 
I appreciate the opportunity. I, I know we, we tried to connect a few times and I, I love this shit, man. Like I, I just love, I love helping people. I, I hope your audience found some, some nuggets, you know, and some smiles and a laugh. Um, cause at the end of the day, you know, that's, I want to, I want to be known to, to leave the world a better place. And I found it and, and at least play a role, a small role in that. And so anytime I have the opportunity to, to kind of preach and, and, and get out there, it's, it's, it's fun. So I appreciate you. I think you're doing a great job of that, Sal. Um, and I think this podcast will bring a lot of people, a lot of value. So with that being said, man, we'll close it out. Sal, I appreciate you coming on the show for everybody listening or, or watching. Make sure to subscribe, leave a review. Um, Sal, how can they find you? What's your Instagram? Uh, at Mr. Frisella, M-R-F-R-I-S-E-L-L-A. I have not changed it. This is the dad in me. Oh, it's perfect, man. I appreciate you being on the show. Everybody, thank you for listening. Have an awesome day. See you guys.